Please be seated as we transition into our Bible study this morning. I want to, though, uh, take a moment and share with you, uh, again, some exciting things that are happening through Calvary Chapel Surprise, but in a way that, that may be a little different. Um, perhaps you're aware, most of you probably, about how the Lord called us to come alongside a church in Newark, New Jersey, called the Rock Christian Fellowship. It was about a year ago I met Pastor Ray. And for those of you who haven't seen it or don't really know what's going on there, I would encourage you, go onto the church app and click on the little link there that talks about the Rock Church. And we, there's a documentary there that talks about how the Lord called us alongside them. But in a nutshell, uh, the Lord uh, spoke to my heart, confirmed it through the elders, and then now we as a church are supporting Pastor Ray so that, because he was working a full-time job job in addition to pastoring this church in the inner city of Newark, New Jersey, where drugs and prostitution and gangs and just right in the middle of all of that. And he's working a full-time job, 50 plus hours a week and pastoring this church. And I just, I can't imagine how, how, that was, how that was going on, but the Lord has called us to come alongside him so that he was able to quit his job and devote full time to the ministry. And they've actually moved onto the property, his home with his family there onto the property right there in the city. Across the street, there's a public school, and he had an opportunity to go across the street a couple of weeks ago and meet the principal, and I'm talking over the video, so why don't we just let Pastor Ray tell us. Hey family, Calvary Chapel Surprise. Great greetings from the Rock Christian Fellowship here in North New Jersey. Um, just wanted to say hello, as well as um, just give you an update on what the Lord has been doing around this area. We went over to uh, the school and I was sat down with the principal and just really wanting to extend a, a hand of just how we could be a blessing to them. and. Um, Long story short, from one hour, we got to um, connect and come into the school and share without um, restraint, really. Um, you know, she even started asking what kind of services we offer as a church and so forth, and uh, really encouraging the kids to come over to the property and be over there. And then um, what's really incredible is the other day, there was a truck on Friday that pulled up to our property and said, who's in charge here? And um, I said, I am. And the guy comes, he says, hey, we've been seeing the kids hanging out in the lot for um, a couple of weeks now. We we're just wondering if you if you could use any juice. It's funny because I just went and shopped for these little short cups because, you know, the kids are drinking and eating like crazy. And, um, and we're providing it, but um, as the Lord provides it. And so it was amazing. It was almost like a George Mueller story where the Lord just brought the juice from this guy. He said, we'll be bringing it every Friday from now on. And uh, just really excited to see that provision made there. And you can just keep us in prayer as we uh, look to bring structure to what we see as being birthed as an after-school care. Um, recently, I've started having the kids sit down, read the word before they uh, even play checking with them, seeing if they're doing their homework. I want to engage the school on seeing how their attendance is and, and really just how they are day to day, you know, uh, just being involved with their life. And um, and there's so much more, but uh, just excited to, to share that bit with you guys. And so keep us in prayer and uh, we thank you. Lord bless you guys.
Yeah, he, he went across the street to just introduce himself to the principal. Thought it would just be a couple minutes. It turned into an hour-long discussion, the principal sharing, you know, this particular child, his, his mom's a prostitute. This other one, his dad's in prison. This, you know, this one's brother was killed in a gang-related, all of this stuff. And Ray just said, can I, would it be possible for me to come back and just talk to the kids? And she said, absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, without, without restraint, this is a public school across the street. Kids are coming over after school and they're hanging out. Yeah, amen. They're hanging out there, and, and from down the street in the projects, they're coming down because Ray brought, when they moved there, they brought this little portable basketball hoop that they set up there, and they have kids coming over and playing basketball and doing all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I emphasize that, again, going back to the beginning, because, guys, you are a part of that. It is because of what you have done and how you have given that has allowed him to quit his job and do that full-time. If he's working full-time, none of that's taken place. And I love that, how God allows us to be a part of that. Isn't that awesome that he gave us that opportunity to be a part of that? We get to share in that. And we have a team that's there right now. Perhaps um, you know that already. There's 12 of us. They got there yesterday. And throughout this week, they're doing a whole bunch of construction projects. The church is over 100 years old and needs a whole bunch of repairs and different stuff. So they're on there. And one of the things they're doing is putting in a permanent basketball hoop. So that'll be really cool. So... We'll have some pictures available on that, no doubt some video to show you on that. And if you're on Instagram, you can get the church app or follow the church on Instagram. We'll be posting some pictures from that. And if you don't know what Instagram is, look it up, get signed up, and <laughs> follow. <laughs> All right, take out your Bibles, please. Acts chapter 2. Continue our study through the book of Acts, the, the early church. The church as it, is, as it is birthed and it is in its early growth, we're in chapter 2. Last week we looked at the day of, of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon this, this small group of believers as they gathered together in obedience and in prayer. Holy Spirit poured out upon them. And by the way, Pentecost on the church calendar is actually today, and so kind of the timing of that's kind of cool. But, but we saw then that after, after the, the Holy Spirit poured out and the, this group gathers, Peter then stands up and gives a, the first sermon, if you would, and about 3,000 people convicted by the Holy Spirit repent and turn to faith in Jesus Christ, and it says that they were baptized. Can you imagine that baptism service? Over 3,000 people. I don't care if all 12 of them were active in the baptism. They were prunes when they got done. That's a lot of, that's a lot of dunking going on. But we continue now in verse 42, looking again at the, at the early church. And obviously seeing that you know, we're, we're over 3,000 people in this church now, but in the, in the body of Christ as it's growing, but we get a glimpse into what goes on or what went on in the early life of the church. Verse 42, it says they, that's the, the body that we're talking about here, the body of believers, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
continually devoting themselves, carries with it the idea that they were focused on this, that they were steadfast in this, the practicing of these things. They were diligent to follow closely and, and not, not break off from, from this. And notice the first thing it lists in there, the apostles' teaching or the doctrine of the early church. The apostles' teaching, what did that consist of? Well, it doesn't consist of what we've been doing on the weekends because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. These are, these are the apostles right away now, and they're taking the scripture, the Old Testament, what we would refer to as the Old Testament scripture, and pointing to how, again, Jesus fulfills all of those things. We've seen it. We looked at Peter's sermon last week, how he did that numerous times, expounding on the Old Testament. And Jesus did that when he was with his disciples for three plus years, continually showing them how he is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament, the, the, all of the Old Testament practices and all of the things all pointed to him. He's the fulfillment. Paul tells us that, that those things were the mere shadow and he is the reality. And so as they are, now teaching these things and sharing with this new body of believers, these new people that have come to faith, they are passionate about this. And we see that, that again, going as we even looked at Peter's sermon last week and the, the thing like that, it's based on the word of God. Guys, understand that what we hold in our hands here, the word of God, everything that we need is in here. Everything that we need is in here. And by the way, we also need everything that's in here. It works both ways. <laughs> everything we need is in here, and we need everything that's in here. We're not to add to any of it, because everything we need is in here. And we can't take away from it because we need everything that's in here. And the, 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 that's been under attack since the very beginning. For all the way back, Genesis chapter 3, they, the enemy comes against the word of God, questioning it right away with Adam and Eve, speaking direct to Eve. Did God really say? God really say that? And if he said it, is that what he really meant? And right away we saw that the susceptibility of, in, in human nature to, to, to question that and to add to God's word and to take away from God's word. And that's been a continual battle ever since. It was a continual battle, even in the early church. Jude, who wrote one of, the, one of the letters that we have right before Revelation, Jude said, I wanted to just write to you about our, you know, just to, just to encourage you and everything, but I, I felt it necessary to, to, to exhort you to contend earnestly for our faith because it's come under attack. And the, the attack it came under was adding to the word of God, taking away from the word of God. Jesus, we know, he, he, he continually talked about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The leaven of the Pharisees was adding to the word of God legalism and all of these rules and regulations that God never intended. Sadducees taking away from the word of God. They only believed in the Torah, the first five books, all of the prophets, the Psalms, everything they discarded, taking away from the word of God. Paul, writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. By the way, that, that, if, if somebody starts a sentence like that, you probably ought to listen to what's following, right? I mean, you can tell this is pretty important to Paul. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, to the, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And he goes on to tell why. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The early church, that word, same word there, that's what the early church was focused on. That's what they, it says they were continually diligent in the, the apostles' doctrine. Paul says, time's coming, they won't endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, he said, be sober in all things. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We see that they were diligent in this. Jesus speaking to the the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3 said this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. That word kept that is used there means to attend to carefully, to take care of, and to guard. The early church did that. It's up to us today to continue to do that. Well, not just the apostles' teaching. Notice that they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. In addition, fellowship, gathering together, encouraging one another. They didn't just come together once a week for an hour, hear the apostles' teaching, and then go home. This was a community that was developed, and they understood that they needed each other. The body of Christ is designed in that way. The body of Christ, Paul even refers to that and, and gives that illustration in, in, in his letter that we're desi- we can't function without each other. The hand, can't, the hand can't operate without the arm. You know? And so we need each other. We're not designed to go through this alone. Fellowship, encouraging each other, coming alongside each other, doing life together. And it was, we're going to see even it's referenced again in the next verses that they would do this not only in church, they wouldn't only just gather together in church to do this, but they do this in house to house. And you can imagine a church uh, overnight grows from a few hundred to a few thousand, so they're, they're breaking up and they're doing this in, in these little house gatherings. And that's why home fellowships are, are an important part of body life, of church life, small groups, important part of that. And I want to encourage you, how many of you have ever been a part of a home fellowship or a small group? All right. Now, how many of you are today? just like first service. I want to encourage you, especially all of you who had your hands up before, were you not blessed by being a part of a small group, by being a part of a home fellowship? There's something that happens in that dynamic that can't happen when hundreds of us gather together on a Sunday morning. Not that this is wrong, come back next week, but the, the, the point is that when we gather together, there's something that takes place that can't take place here now. You get to know each other more closely. You get to understand each other's needs and and what's going on in your life. And you can pray specifically for those things and and help out in those things. I want to, we've been using this all in at CC Surprise email. 
If you're interested in getting plugged into a home fellowship group, if you're interested in hosting one or maybe facilitating one, would you email that email address and let us know that? We're continuing to uh, accumulate those things and praying about how a lot of this stuff is working. So if you've sent in emails already about other stuff that we've been talking about, thank you. And we're, we're working on a lot of stuff, excited about some things that are on the horizon. But home fellowships is something that we're really, really serious about and we want to get some more going. So if that would be, you'd be interested in that, please send us an email with that. Breaking of bread, again, as they're gathering together, it wasn't, it wasn't just, again, for, for just a, a short little meeting. Breaking of bread, many people look to that and say, well, that's meaning that they celebrated communion together, and they certainly did. But, but most agree that it at least had the element of actually breaking bread together, actually sharing in a meal together, not just getting together just for a quick little, little get-together and then going, but actually sharing meal and time together. In that culture, breaking bread together carried huge significance. You know, today, if you're going to invite somebody over after, after church or go out to eat together after church, your design isn't only to fill your stomach. Your design is to get to know someone a little bit better. I mean, there's, there's purpose behind that. But it even goes deeper in that culture. If you were to actually break bread together, they took the significance of what is in you now is in me. Because we broke the same loaf of bread, if you would. You ate part, I ate part. So what is in you is in me, uniting us together in the significance of that. Fellowshipping breaking bread together, again, uniting, sharing, certainly praying. We saw that that's, that's from the very beginning. They gathered together diligently, praying together, and that continues on both individually and corporately in the body, in the, in the body of the church and, and must be a huge element and aspect of our walks. But continues now in verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They, they, it says they had all things in common. As they were doing this life together, as they were fellowshipping and meeting with one another, they would hear of one another's needs. And those who had would, would take care of those who had not. That was the design, how the, how the church worked. And I like this, this, this idea, this, they're saying that they had all things in common. One, one commentator that I heard this week, that I, I, I appreciate how he put it. He said it this way. He said, communism says what's yours is mine. Capitalism says what's mine is mine. Christianity says what's mine is yours. And it's an understanding, it's built on an understanding that as Christians, as followers of Almighty God, we understand none of it belongs to us anyway. It's not mine to begin with. God has blessed me, God has blessed you with certain things, and if God should, in his great wisdom, 
and love, by the way, and blessing give us the opportunity to use some of what he's given to us to bless someone else? How awesome is that? How great is that, that God knows of a need that someone else has, and he allows us, He gives something to us to pass on to them. We're brokers in the deal. How cool is that? And again, I look at this, the, just as, and this is what, what's going on in New Jersey. We're brokers in that whole thing. God always intended to bless this, that little street corner in Newark, New Jersey this way, and he's allowing us to get to play a part in that. Guys, before we move on from this, we're going to see it in chapter 5 when we get there, but this whole idea of all things in common, sharing with one another, it's not mandated by law. It's motivated by love. It's not a law. It's not something that we're going to see in chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they're struck down, but not struck down because they didn't give what they had. Struck down because they lied about it. Peter said, isn't it yours to do with what you want? not a law, it's not mandated that you do this, but why would you lie about it? It's done out of a heart of, of love, day by day. This was, again, ongoing. It was just the way of life that they had together. One mind, together. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We see in, the, in our verses here that, that they, this was day by day. It was ongoing. Notice first, in the temple, they didn't just go to church once a week for an hour. It was a regular thing that they went to the temple together. They went to church together. And, and we have a lot that's going on throughout the week here at Calvary Chapel Surprise, again, there's small groups that meet here. There's Bible study, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, group Bible studies, Spanish Bible studies. There are a lot of those studies going on. We have a midweek service. If you've never come on Wednesday night, I'm blessed on Wednesday night how many of you come to the midweek service. But if you've never been, I encourage you. In the middle of the week, it's a great time to, again, fellowship, worship, study God's Word. It's a little more of a casual setting on, on Wednesday. Not that you guys are all uptight or anything, but... But I encourage you to come, come in that. It wasn't, but uh, not just in the temple, but house to house. Again, regularly meeting together. Notice it says, with gladness. With gladness. That means extreme joy. They were like, yes, it's Thursday. We get to go hang out over at their house. It's not, oh, man, it's Thursday. Oh, I'm tired. I just want to watch the Diamondbacks. <laughs> with extreme joy. Guys, I think the joy, when we really break it down, comes from the fact that regardless of where we come from, regardless of our background, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of anything, every single born-again believer in this room has one thing in common. We're all miserable sinners saved by grace. And we have that together in common. There's no greater joy than to understand that fact and then we, could, we come alongside each other and again encourage each other in this walk. We understand that we need each other. 
in sincerity of heart. I, I love that too. With gladness and sincerity of heart. If you have a marginal reference Bible, you notice that sincerity probably has a number by it. You match that number up in the column. It says simplicity. Simplicity of heart. And I like that word in here, simplicity, because guys, we have such a tendency to complicate things. And it's supposed to be simple. It's designed to be simple. Jesus broke it all down and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. On those two, hang everything else. It's simple. It's simple. I had a, I've shared this with you before, but I like saying it out loud. It reminds me, it reminds you. I had a button that the acronym, JOY, J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. You live that way, extreme joy. Man, we complicate things. You know the KISS principle, right? Keep it simple, saints. <laughs> and it all works. It all works. And the Lord added to their number. The Lord added to their number. The Lord brought the people that were saying, man, what is going on next door? These people gathered together and, and they're from all these different backgrounds. They're from all these different things. They get together over here. They're having dinner. They're laughing. They're singing. They're praising. What is going on? And they go over and they hear about it. And the Lord says, okay, you join them. The Lord adds to the number. The Lord does that work. But can we get to play a part in it simply by walking in obedience. Well, transitioning now, chapter 3. Verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Peter and John, and no doubt others from the group, heading up to the temple as they did every day obediently, the very Jewish prayer schedule, you have the three, the third, sixth, and ninth hours of the day, nine o'clock noon and, and three in the afternoon, they would head up to the temple to pray. And following the normal path that most people took through this, they called it the beautiful gate. It was the gate that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women. The Gentiles and lame people could go no further than this gate Women, Jewish women could go into the court of women, but could not go past that. Jewish men could go past that, but not past the part where the priests could only go. So they had it seg segregated that way. But here we see at the gate beautiful, this beautiful gate, and here is a man that we're introduced to. We're not told his name, but we are told something about him, that he is lame, and he's been lame since he was born. We find out in the next chapter, this man is over 40 years old. So for 40 years, he has never walked, he's been lame, he's had to be carried everywhere he goes, and we see here that he's carried every day to this gate, he's placed down where he begs for alms, where he, he, he's, a, he's a beggar, he has no way to make a living, so he's, he's relying on the mercy of people that maybe would just happen to throw him a coin as they're walking in to pray. Now, because of where he is located, and because of the fact that it tells us that somebody brought him there every day, we can assume that he saw some pretty amazing things. We can assume that he saw Jesus. 
because we know that Jesus was in the court of the Gentiles often. As a matter of fact, just weeks earlier, he was there overturning the tables. And while everybody else is scrambling to get out of Jesus' way, he can't go anywhere. So he probably got a front row seat to what's going on with there. He probably was close enough on more than one occasion to hear Jesus speaking. And I wonder how many times as Jesus walked with his disciples to pray, walking through the beautiful gate, walked right by this man. And I say that because I wonder if there's any of you here today who come to church regularly, who worship and sing with everybody else, yet in your heart, you're, you see other people and you've heard about how God's answered their prayer, or you see how things are working and got there, but you're thinking, man, God's forgotten about me. Jesus, Jesus has forgotten me. Wonder if that man maybe even witnessed somebody else get healed by Jesus but then have Jesus walk by him and have that, that happen. Well, let's see what happens next here. Verse three. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. He began to beg, crying out for alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them, but Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note that he was the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple and beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We saw back in chapter 2, verse 43, that these signs and wonders taking place through the apostles... And here we see an example of that. We see this miraculous thing take place through Peter. Jesus said in John chapter 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Through, through his power, Jesus continuing to do his ministry, as we looked back at the chapter 1, verse 1 of Acts, Luke said all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, now we see that continuing through his apostles. And now we look at this, this man, again, who is brought to the gate beautiful, begging alms. He sees them, he begins to beg, thinking that that's what he needs. Thinking that the, 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 probably the best that he could ever ask for or hope for was that they would throw him a coin as they walked by. And because of that, settling for so much less than what God had planned for him. And note what Peter did. And I, these, these three pieces, I think, are important. 
He engaged the guy, he exhorted him, and he encouraged him. First of all, he engaged him. Most, I, I, this guy, he's probably just alms, alms for the poor, alms, 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 hoping that somebody will just flip him a coin again as he's walking by. But that's not what Peter did. Peter stopped and engaged him. As a matter of fact, had to say, hey, look at me. He engaged him. And by the way, they were on, they were on an appointment. They were, they were heading up to pray, and prayer wasn't going to wait. It's starting at 3 o'clock. How many opportunities do we miss because we have an appointment? <laughs> because we have an agenda? Because we fail to stop and engage? He stopped. Probably had several people have to say, hey, buddy, out of the way, you know, whatever. He stopped and he engaged him. And then he exhorted him. He challenged him. He, he challenged him to do something, by the way, that is impossible. <laughs> Listen, just think of what this man's response must have been initially when Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Alms, alms. <laughs> but then it also says Peter didn't just stop with the exhortation. He encouraged him. He reached out, he grabbed his hand, and he lifted him up. Guys, we're called to do that. We're called to engage, we're called to exhort, and we're called to encourage. Because what we are asking people that, that don't know the Lord Jesus and are just coming to, to faith as we exhort them when we are challenging them to walk in a manner worthy, they're not going to understand what that means. They're not going to know what that means. And we need to encourage and walk alongside them. As Peter does this, I, I love how this story unfolds. Notice, immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Now think about that for a second. I don't know if any of you have ever had your leg in a cast or ankle or arm in a cast for like a month and they take the cast off, what, I mean, everything's kind of shrunk down. I remember when I had the cast cut off of my leg, man, my muscles were all down, the atrophy that took place in a month. He wasn't in a cast for a month. He had never used his legs before for 40 years. All, every muscle, every tendon, every nerve completely atrophied, now instantly activated. Muscle, muscle tone and everything, and he didn't get up all wobbly and feeble. Peter helps him up instantly, wham, he's running, jumping, praising God. <laughs> Amen, yeah. All the people saw. Everybody around saw this, and they're, they're blown away. Wouldn't you be? And now he gets to go where he'd never been able to go before. He goes into the temple with them, singing, praising God. Now, I want to go back to something I said a few minutes ago that maybe had many of you going, where in the world are you going with this? You see, God never forgot about this man. God, Jesus walking by him, I wonder if Jesus said, was just thinking, oh, just hang in there, buddy. It's coming. There's a day and a time appointed, and the, day and the, the appointed day and time is here in our story for this one. 
Jesus never forgot about him. God never forgot about him. And God has not forgotten about you. He cares for you. Every, every detail of whatever it is that you're going through, he cares about. And he, he's, he's, he's speaking through this story to you saying, hang in there, I have a plan. It might be different than your plan, but he's saying, I have a plan. Just be patient. His plan and his purpose is much bigger, and he sees it all. He's ahead of, he's ahead of everything. He's, he's outside of everything that, we are, that we're bound by. The... The other thing in, in this story that, that challenged me from the very beginning as I was reading this is Peter seeing this man and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And it says immediately, boom. You know what that tells me? There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. But... We need to understand something about that because there is so much misinformation and misunderstanding about that. Because it's not just saying the name Jesus and that's it. You see, it's, you, take a, you take the logo off of a Corvette and you put it on a Yugo, it doesn't make the Yugo a Corvette. And so often we use in the name of Jesus as a logo. It's not a formula. It's not, it's not phonetics. It's not how we say something in a particular order or, or specifically saying that. One thing I can guarantee you, I can stand here right now and absolutely certain, Peter did not say in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene walk. He did not say that. How do I know? Peter didn't speak English. And we get all hung up on how something is said. I have a, a dear friend of mine, godly friend of mine, one who I would call any day and say, pray for me. Most times when I pray with him, he simply answers his prayer, amen. And there are some that would say, man, he didn't say in the name of Jesus, amen, so that prayer is invalid. We tag on in the name of Jesus before our amen most of the time without thinking, most of the time, like, that's now somehow making it, making, obligating God to answer that prayer. Guys, let me tell you, in the name of Jesus has far more to do with how we begin our prayers than how we end them. We have to be, we have to be in the will of the Lord. That's what this is all about. Again, just saying the name Jesus is not it. Jesus said, Jesus himself said, on that day, many will say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, away from me, I never knew you. Again, it has to do with the attitude at the beginning, not an add-on at the end. John 
John says this, who was here in 1 John, he says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. That's a powerful statement there. And, and the, the, the promise that's in there, I think we ought to probably try to grab a hold of because when I look at this together, the, the, praying in Jesus' name is praying in his will based on when we look at these things together. And we have confidence before him. We can go before the King of kings and the Lord of lords confidently, boldly go before Almighty God And I don't know about you, but at times I struggle with that concept until he reminds me that I'm his child. And I I love that understanding because, quite frankly, my kids have no problem asking me for anything. (laughs) And that's how I am to approach. I'm a child of God. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If, it's conditional. We ask, James tells us we don't have because we don't ask. What can we ask for? Anything. Everything. Paul says, Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If we ask anything according to his will, not demand, ask, understand who we're going to, but there's a promise that we, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that literally means more than just listening. That hearing means that the God of the universe, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, will personally attend to our request. Now, with all of that said, understand that when he personally attends to our requests, he knows the request before we ask it. He knows the heart behind the request, and he knows the results beyond the request. So when we pray according to his will, we are saying we're going to align ourselves with that fact. We are going to embrace the truth that, Lord, (laughs) you know what we need, you know us, and you know what lies ahead. And when we pray in his will, we need to understand there's two elements to praying in his will. There's the petition, but there's also the petitioner. There's the request, and there's the requester. Both need to be in his will. The Bible is very clear that if we are outside of God's will, if if there is sin in our life, he will not hear us. David says, Psalm 66, 17 and 18, I cried out with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. That means I was worshiping God, but if I regard wickedness or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. It's not that he can't hear, it's that he will not hear. Just again, as we deal, like we're dealing with our children, we're not going to reward our children for bad behavior. So we need to make sure that our lives are in line, that, that there's, that there's no, no, nothing in our lives that needs to be repented of. So when we're in line with his will, then the petition itself lined up with his will. Understand, when we pray in his will, it is not to bend his will towards ours. It is to submit our will towards his. James goes on, you, ask, you have not because you ask not. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong 
motives. It's aligning our heart with his. It's allowing our heart to be filled with his desires, to be concerned with what he's concerned with, to be passionate about what he is passionate about, and then to pray passionately about those things. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in him. He will place his desires in your heart. And then as we lift those back up to him, he delights in answering those. He lays his promises in our heart and we lift his promises up to him. He delights in answering those. I, my daughter, Brianna, from the... From, <laughs> As early as I remember, three years old, she had a memory. Man, she would not forget anything. She'd come up to me and a couple weeks after I said something, she'd go, Dad, you promised. I'm like, Ugh. Ugh. I got to tell you, that, that got annoying. I, that, I'm, <laughs> confession time. That doesn't annoy God. It doesn't annoy God. It, it pleases him when we lift his promises up to him. Your word says, Lord, your word promises. And by the way, his promises are true when they're said, not when they're seen. We walk by faith, and he is faithful. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests with which we have asked from him. I love the illustration that we have in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham, this, this great man of faith, the hall of faith, speaking of Abraham. And it tells us that he, he obediently followed God when God called him out of his native country, didn't tell him where he was going, just said go. He obediently went, and it tells us that he was looking for a city with foundations who are, whose architect and builder is God. And I like that picture. Looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is is God. And by the way, the city with foundations is not your empire. <laughs> it's his kingdom. And so often our prayers are motivated on building our empire. And God says, I'm not interested in building that. I'm interested in building my kingdom. And we align ourselves with that. His perfect plan, his master plan. We're invited to play a part in that building project. And prayer is our requisition forms for, for materials needed. And he delights in answering that. Slat, one last thought. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's a promise. Who defines what's good? God does. And we understand that, again, as parents, a couple of things with that. First of all, if we gave everything to our kids from the, their earliest age that they thought was good, it wouldn't turn out very good. But we also know, even as they grow, when they are asking for good things, we understand as parents that, yeah, that might be good, but I know what's better. As a matter of fact, Father knows best. <laughs> And our Heavenly Father knows what's best. Asking, that, that man in our story, alms was good. It was his only means of providing for himself. But God had something so much better for him. The best. 
He desires the best for us. So if we stand on what that word says, that promise of God that he will not withhold, no good thing will he withhold from us. No good thing. If we don't get what we ask for, what does that mean? That it's not what's best for us. We know, we know again that he is faithful in his promises. There are certain things that the Bible, he promises. He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's a promise. He said, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. That's a promise. His, the Bible tells us it's God's will that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that. It's his will. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. He will honor that request. Tells us, tells us in his word that it's his will. First, First Thessalonians tells us that it's his will that we are sanctified. That means set apart. And if we are to be set apart, truly in his will, to be set apart as he calls us to be, guys, that means that there's areas in our lives, if there's any strongholds that are keeping us from fully being set apart for him, those things gotta come down. And if we pray in his name, in his will for that, that's a promise, he will do that. Bible tells us that he, does that he doesn't desire that any should perish, but all come to repentance. You pray to receive Jesus into your, into your life, you surrender your life to him, that is a prayer that I guarantee is answered in the affirmative. There are some things, though, that as we pray, we don't know for sure what his will is, physical healing being one of those. So what do we do with that? Well, as we saw, we are to bring those petitions to him. But again, aligning with his will and understanding that, that his will might be to heal immediately. His will might be to heal, but, but not now. And his will might be, as he said to Paul, hey, my grace is sufficient. I have even a better plan. And you won't understand it now, but you will someday. But we still ask. And as we, now the worship team's going to come up here in a moment and we're going to sing as, a few songs as we close. I've, I've asked our pastors and elders and prayer team members to come up front and I, I want to invite you as we stand together and sing to come forward in the name of Jesus, in the power of his name and see what he wouldn't do as we lift these petitions to him. Would you pray? Let's pray right now. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we are in you. We are children of God. And we know that because of this gift of, of eternal life that we have, that we can come to you. And, and Lord, even commanded to come to you with our petitions, with our requests. But Lord, right now, as we prepare to do this together, Lord, we, right now, would, would you prepare our hearts for that? Lord, we want to make sure our lives are aligned with you first. So if there's any, any sin in our life, Lord, if there's anything that, is, that we need to deal with right here, right now, Lord, we bring that to you. We repent. We turn from that. Cleanse us, Lord. Cleanse our hearts and our hands, Lord, as we lift them to you in praise. We thank you for the promises that we have, Lord, and we know that they are 
They are true because you are faithful. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.